Amen. Well, I'm thrilled to we have a, a guest today. As you know, we don't have a lot of guests come to Creekside. Um, uh, but this guest I got to meet back in uh, 1982 when I was a youth pastor um, at our wonderful uh, Bethel Church in Lodi. And here's, you know, I usually invite people, the few ones that I do, it's based on relationship. And so I got to know Bob just a, a smidgen a little bit back then. And somehow God reconnected and crossed our paths uh, just a few months ago. And we were talking about when we could have him here. And this is the day that worked. Uh, here's, you, you know me, I'm, I'm about relationship. And my whole, my whole thing is, especially if I have somebody, I want to know a little bit about them. What I love about Bob is there's a humility. I've been around um, some pretty impressive people, and there's a, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of impressive people in this room, and in the other service. But as you get a little bit older, impressive people impress less. And what really matters is who they are, not on a stage or a platform, but behind the scenes, and that there's a sense of humility and grace, and just um, well, they're real. And that's what I so love about Bob, not to mention that he's a pretty talented gentleman. Uh, he's a songwriter. Uh, I serenaded you last week with uh, Be Glorified at the end of service to kind of remind you of what he, the, the song that he wrote uh, years ago, and he'll tell you a little bit about that song. Uh, but it was kind of one of my mantras when I was a youth pastor that I taught the kids, Lord, be glorified in who we are and what we say and what we do. And uh, Bob's just a wonderful gift, and I guarantee you, you'll be glad you came this morning. So would you give an incredibly warm Creekside welcome to Bob Kilpatrick. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks again, Phil. Thanks so you. much. Thank you, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Good morning. Yep, I'm humble Bob. Yep, just very humble. I'm very proud of that. I just keep it at the forefront of my mind that... So humble, what a good gift to give to other people, my humility. <laughs> I'm, I actually am humbled by that. Um, I, it's, it's, you know, things go awry when people get impressed with themselves. That's the problem. My wife and I were at the dinner oh, a couple of weeks ago, and we just prayed over our meal. And I'll tell you something, I don't pray the same prayer every time because I don't I've been with people who go the same prayer, dear Lord, bless the Lord, you know, hands that prepared it, that's a big one, you know, and uh, bless the Lord, amen. It's like a rote prayer. It's like a little thing we have to do, like a, a, a password to unlock the, the meal or something, you know. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I had enough of it one day, and I just decided I'm never, ever going to waste an opportunity to talk to the living God. I'm not going to ever just do it on automatic and throw it up there. So every meal is a new prayer and a new thing to be thankful for. And so I'm going, Father, thanks for this great day with my wife and for this food. And, you know, I just, whatever it was I prayed, we, it's short, but this young guy next to us says, that's really cool you, you know, pray. People don't do that in public very often. And, you know, what I said to him kind of stuck with me. Sometimes you say stuff that you get impressed with afterwards because you go, wow, where'd that come from? And it was like that. I said, uh, I said to him, you know what? Everything I have is a gift. And so thankfulness just seems to be an appropriate response every moment of my life. It's like everything I have is a gift. I didn't, I didn't earn this or deserve it. It's just like, wow, 
What God has done, I love it. And I've got great friends, and I'm really happy about that. I, I'm a married man. I married a woman. And, yeah, we specify these days, you know. Uh, her name is Cindy, and uh, Cindy and I started living together right after we got married, which we thought was a good order, you know, get married first and then live together. And live together, that's a euphemism. You understand? That's a wink, wink, nod, nod, know what I mean, know what I mean kind of a term. Do you know what I'm talking about? We live together. <laughs> yeah, living together is fun. I like it. And because we live together, we started having children. So a year and nine days after we were married, we had a son, and then son number two, and then son number three, and then son number four, and then something different. It's a girl. I didn't know we made that kind. All right. I love it. I, you know what? I cried for two days after my daughter was born. I couldn't believe it, that I had a girl. It was just such a, such a new experience for me. It's such a delight. And uh, yes, she spoiled. She spo- I spoiled all my kids. All of them are spoiled with love and discipline. Because love without discipline is no love at all. And so I wanted to raise kids. I didn't want to send any jerks out into the world, Right? And I wanted to raise kids that I would like to have as friends. That's what my goal was. I want you to be interesting and funny and smart and, you know, conversant. And it turned out that way. We're, we're all very good friends. My oldest son's a writer. That's what he does for a living. And my second son's a designer, an entrepreneurial guy. My third son's in commercial real estate and doing quite well. And my fourth son is uh, leading worship and probably speaking at his own church down in Oxnard. And then my daughter, she's a newlywed, so she's just worthless, you know. It's, it's like, oh, Eric, whatever you want, it's your world, you know. Yeah, she'll get over it. You did, didn't you? Didn't you? And all my kids are, are married and breeding. I think we're part rabbit. I don't know. It's just like we now have 21. (laughs) Evidently, my kids like living together too, you know. 21, little Kilpatrick's running. And I just, I say this, I I said this in the first service, uh, and I don't know why, but I said it in a conspiratorial kind of whisper that I just found out yesterday that we have number 22 on the way. And I, I realized afterwards why I said it in that whisper. I went, we have 22. You know. It's because my wife doesn't know yet. My son told me. We were just, I just got back from Nashville. We were together back there for this music thing. And, uh, and he told me, hey, we're, you know, pregnant again. And we know that if I tell my wife, uh, it also goes to my daughter. And he wanted to tell her first. And so I... It's my secret. So my wife, don't tell my wife, please, okay? I love it. I, I love being a husband. I love being a father. I love being a grandfather. This is the coolest thing. Family is the coolest thing, the progression of it in the different roles that you take, you know, husband and then father and then grandfather. I just love it. And some people I know in the music business, see, I go back and forth. I'm a minister, but I have a lot of, I have to work with the music business, right? But I'm not in the music business. I'm in the music ministry. There's a difference. 
but I, I, have a, I know a lot of people in the Christian music business, and some of them, their family gets in the way of what they want to do. And I remember talking to one guy, and I go, my family's not getting in the way of what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I wanted to be a husband. Then I wanted to be a dad. And I wanted to raise them to be good dads and good moms. And then I wanted to be a grandpa. And I'm getting to do it all. And this is exactly what I wanted. And God has blessed me. And so, again, I'm thankful. I love them all. Um, when my grandkids turn 12, we take them on a, we take them on a trip overseas somewhere. Because uh, I, I think of it as holy tourism because I want them to see the world, but I also want them to see God at work in the world. You know what I'm saying? So that they, we go and take them to see what God is doing, because I want them, my grandkids, to, to grow up to be either goers or senders. Either I'm going to go over there, or I'm going to help to send you over there if you're going, because that's what we need, you know? I'll go down the well if you'll hold the rope, kind of a deal, you know what I'm saying? So, they uh, first first grandson went with me to Italy. We, uh, it's crazy because they said, we're going to hold worship seminars over there, and, and uh, maybe 30 or 40 people are going to come. We had 700 show up. It was just wild. Uh, it was crazy. And it caught the attention of the, the mayor of Naples, and he asked for a meeting. Missionary told me, I've been here 35 years, and they've never asked for a meeting with me because they kick me out every time I come down here to City Hall. But he asked for a meeting, and he said, we open the doors of our city to you, and if you'll come back, we'll help you to do anything. Because we wanted to help them make Casoria, this rundown area of Naples, a peaceful and prosperous place for families, you know, kids, people to raise their kids. So we came back four months later, and he gave us the use of the sports arena, and we set up outside, big festival stage and lots of, you know, tents, blow-up houses and jump houses and stuff like that. And, uh, 70,000 people came out to hear about Jesus. Go, oh, man, what a miracle this is. This is incredibly cool. And uh, it started with my grandson, you know, being over there singing in my backup band, getting to see it. He's, he's now living in China, giving his heart to the Chinese people. It went there twice with me and uh, speaks the language fluently. And uh, God's just given him that heart for those people. And I started in Italy. Second one went to Ecuador. Third and fourth went to China with me. And that was fun because they're, they're borrowing my guitar. They're borrowing my guitar, you know, and they're going to they're gonna lead worship. And I decided, well, I'll just play bass for them back here. And um, so I'm supposed to be just standing in the shadows, just holding down the bottom end, you know. And they go, you ready? I yeah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And they start singing. And I... I started crying. I mean, I didn't even expect it. I'm because I'm just we practiced. I'm good, you know. And I and here's the thing, okay? Women can cry and still look normal. They just go and tears, right? But nothing else. But men, it's like you lose control of your face and everything leaks. Everything's leaking. It's like, I call it messy crying. I'm back there just messy crying because I'm thinking, how cool is this? Two of my grandsons are leading worship in Shanghai, China. How cool is that? Yeah, me too. I did the same thing. I'm getting touched now. I don't know why. I take a nap or something. 
And then the last two, the number five and six, two girls, went with us to Indonesia and just saw God do great miracles over there. It was a wonderful trip. Next ones are going, up, I think, to back to China, Hong Kong. I don't know why God's given me a ministry there, but I've been there like 12 times and done stuff I can tell you about and other stuff I can't because it'd get people in trouble, you know, but it's like, this is so fun, man. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm digging it, you know? It's true, I wrote uh, that song. I, I, I was reading the obituaries, and, I'm, and it says, Robert Louis Louis Morris dies. This is a guy that wrote, Louis Louis, oh, baby, say we gotta go now. Yeah, yeah, you lift your hands and sing with me. I love it. I'll get your lighters out. It's all the boomers. So you know the song, right? So the guy that wrote it died. And when I saw that, I realized what my obituary is going to look like. Because, you know, you have a full life. You do a bunch of stuff and, you know, you write books and produce albums and write songs and travel the world and nobody remembers any of that. Nobody even cares, right? It gets shrunk down to Robert Louis Louis Morris. So I realized what my obituary is going to look like. It's going to say, Bob, Lord be glorified, Kilpatrick dies. Because that's what I'm going to be remembered for. But I think that's better than Louis Louis, you know? <laughs> Five notes, seven words, simplest of prayers. It's been really fun to see how the Lord has taken it all around the world. I actually wrote it never intending for you to hear it. The song was written in my mother-in-law's living room in Atwater, California, and it was written as a prayer for Cindy and me to sing, my wife and me. We were going to sing it before we would go out and sing, you know? She was traveling with me at that time, early times. And uh, I just wanted to have a little prayer song that we could share back there. Very simple. I think because it was meant for us and I didn't mean it for show, that it has a little a purity. Do you know what I mean? It has a little purity to it because I didn't care. You weren't ever going to hear it, so it didn't matter. It was just for the two of us to twine our voices together and worship and to sort of prepare our hearts for the, the ministry that was just before us. It was my wife. She came in the room. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing this little prayer song for you and me. And, you know, she said, I pray, played it for her. And, and she said, oh, you need to sing that song. You need to share it. I go, no, no, you don't understand. This is just for me and you. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. That song's a gift from God to his people. And if you don't sing it, you're going to have to answer for that. She, <laughs> she like pulled out the big guns on me, you know. I was like, whoa. But I am an obedient husband, and I did what she said. And I advise that for husbands. But she was right. The Lord took the song all over the world. In South America, we sing, And vida, Gloria te doy, Señor. In Russia, we sing, In Australia, we sing, In my life, Lord be glorified, mate. <laughs> So I did this for the first service, and I'm going to have to do it for you, but I don't normally do it anymore, but it's, it's just kind of fun. I, I like it. Uh, a friend of mine pointed out years ago, said, this song has your style. It sounds like you wrote it. He was familiar with, you know, my songs, and, and he's right. It, this song really kind of embodies, encapsulates 
my style sounds like I wrote it. And I thought, that's true. What would it have sounded like if somebody else had written it? And I came up with a couple of ideas. This is what I think Lord Be Glorified might have sounded like if Frank Sinatra had written it. A one, two, a one, two, three, well in my life, Lord, I say, be glorified, baby. Be glorified, well, in my life, Lord. Be glorified, be glorified, be glorified today. Or if Elvis had written, Lord, be glorified in my life, Lord. Glorified, <laughs> be glorified. Or if the Beatles had written, Lord be glorified. One, two, three. In my life, Lord, in my life, Lord, be glorified today. Be glorified today. Or if Willie had wrote it, Lord be glorified. Just can't wait to sing, Lord be glorified. In my life, Lord be glorified today. I can't wait to sing, Lord be glorified. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So maybe we should cleanse our palates and uh, sing it the original way just so we remember it properly the next time we want to pray this little musical prayer. So if you know it, would you jump in with me? And if you don't know it, well, jump in when you can. Like I said, there are only five notes, seven words, and the simplest of prayers, and it goes like this. In my life, Lord, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Let me hear you sing it by yourself. Say, In Thanks for singing it. Wow, what a blessing. I never take it for granted. People tell me stories, and uh, I just love it. I love, I'm, in fact, I, I didn't say this earlier, but I'll say, I was at this event, and some music, Christian music guy was hanging out there, and I don't know why he was there, but he was there. And uh, this woman came up and said, I just love that song that you wrote, Lord Be Glorified. I met the Lord while we were singing that song, and, you know, she's crying, and, 
And I started crying because I like these stories, you know. I, I'm crying with her. Go, that is so great. Thank you so much for saying that, you know. And she walked away. And the music business guy, it's a Christian music business guy, and he looks at me and goes, <laughs> doesn't that get old? And I said, no, and I don't want to ever be you. That <laughs> gives me the creeps, man. I don't want to ever take for granted what God does in people's lives. It's a wonder. It's a miracle. And I love it. I was producing an album for some friends of mine named Phil Keggy and Randy Stonehill. And um, great guys, great artists. And they wanted to use a song I had written, um, but they kept teasing me about how much like the Beatles the song sounds. And it's... <laughs> It's true that every song I write kind of sounds like the Beatles wrote it and didn't like it and threw it away, and I went dumpster diving, you know, outside their house. I just write Beatle leftovers. But if you know Phil and Randy, you know that they're kind of like the John and Paul of Christian music, so it's a really good fit for them. But it's a good fit for us this morning as well, and, and the message of the song is simple. God doesn't promise that we'll always have pleasant paths or wonderful weather, what he promises is that no matter the path of the weather, we'll always have him. When you're in the valley of despair, feels as though you always will be there. Let your heart be strong, though the road is long, there's a way to go. For soon enough the path will start to rise To mountains high and clear and sunny skies The way will take you high The way will take you low That's the way it goes That's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then sun will shine again that's the way it goes yeah 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 and when the raging waters rush you away and it feels like you won't last another day let your heart be brave the calming of the waves is dearer than you know oh 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 for stormy days will be a distant dream La la la, la 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 Floating in a still and quiet stream The river will run fast The river will run slow Cause that's the way it goes That's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then sun will shine again that's the way it goes life's a mystery and we don't always see God's hand but he's the Lord of love and wonder one day we will understand yeah yeah that's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then Sun will shine again 
that's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then sun will shine again That's the way it goes That's the way it goes. When I first wrote that song, the message of it was actually reversed. It said, that's the way it goes sometimes. Things don't always work out fine. The sun will shine and then what? The rain will fall again because that's the way it goes. It's true. I was having a bad day. I, was I lived in Reading at the time and I was driving home and I don't know what had happened, but I was just grumpy, you know? So I'm grousing at God and other drivers and pedestrians and dogs and cats. I mean, I didn't care. I'm just... It's the way it goes. Things don't always work out. Got home and sang it for my wife, and she went, cheerful. <laughs> so, so I changed it. I... I this all really happened. I'm not even making this stuff up. It happened just like that. And so I, you know, I changed the song. Yeah, that's pretty grumpy. So I changed the song. But life is still weird, isn't it? It's hard to understand. It's hard. I mean, it's, I don't know. Can you explain to me hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, giraffes? <laughs> life is weird, man. And it's just hard to understand. Life is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes Christians get a little tense when I talk like this because they think that, I think a lot of Christians think we're supposed to understand what God's doing in our lives. And my question is, do you? Because I don't. It's a mystery. I don't understand what God is doing in my life. My son called me a couple of summers ago and said, Dad, we're just trying to get clarity on moving down to Southern California or not. And I, and I don't know why I had this burst of candor, but I said, well, good luck with that clarity thing you're one, <laughs> you know. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I've never had clarity in my life. You know what I'm doing? I'm doing what the Israelites did. I'm following a cloud does this make sense to you? Yes. Do you get it? Do you understand? God doesn't reveal himself clearly, and most of our prayer time is about information. You know what we're praying about? Most of us, our prayer times are about two things. We want provision, and we want information. God, bless the missionaries over there, and bless our church, and give me that new car. We want provision. We want th we're asking for things. And then the other thing, and this is, I think, most of it, we're asking for information. We're asking God to tell us things. God, where do you want me to live? Who do you want me to live with? What do you want me to do? Those are the three big ones. You know, your life is mostly not big choices. Your life is, those are the, really the three big choices right there. It's three of them. The rest of the choices are small ones. They're all little things. Stop and get coffee. What's this? Right? Little choices. But we all want to know the will of God. 
like it was some magic formula. Oh, God, show me your way. And you know what God does? He doesn't talk. We're trying to get clarity, and God's not helping. We want to know stuff. We want to understand. We want things to make sense. And I have, like Job, demanded that God explain himself to me. And he says, and you are who exactly that you should command me? Because we want my, we want like, you know what G.K. Chesterton said? He said the trouble with life is that it almost makes sense. Almost. Almost makes sense. And that's our problem. Because we want it to make complete sense. We want the circuits to touch and everything to light up. Doesn't happen. Doesn't make sense. And we're always trying to make sense. And you know what God's doing while we're trying to make sense out of our lives? He's trying to make good. He doesn't care a lot about sense. He cares a lot about good. What is that, uh, what is that verse in Romans? Uh, Romans 12 says, all things work together to make sense for those who... <laughs> See, that's what we want it to say, but it doesn't say that. It says all things work together for good. Even when they don't make sense, they can still make good. Because God doesn't care about sense. You're wanting information, and he's not giving it to you. I'm going to tell you something about the will of God. You can stop praying for the will of God for your life, because you know what the will of God is? It's you. You are the will of God. He wanted someone just like you. You're it. If you, if you say, God, what is your will? He goes, I'm looking at it. I wanted you. You're my will. Now go do stuff. Life's an adventure. But we want it to make sense, and we want it all to work out. We want to understand. A few years ago, my nephew Matt, 20 years old, tall, handsome, athletic, good, godly kid, died of leukemia. He was part of our home church, Bethel Church, Reading. They were praying for him every day. I love them because they stood with us through this very trying time, prayed for him every day, worshiped with him every day, but he died. Matt's dad, my brother-in-law, Jeff, not just my brother-in-law, my best friend. I mean, I, I, I led him to the Lord when he was 18. He was living in Indiana, terrible life, that sex, drugs, rock and roll thing. And then God got a hold of him. He moved out here to get his life straightened out, live with us up in Reading. And he met a young girl at our church, and he wanted to get married. And I was newly ordained to the ministry. He asked me to perform the ceremonies. <laughs> you know, it's like we were so young. I had hair. I mean, that's, that's how, yeah, it, I'm so jealous you still have your bangs. My bangs are migrating. <laughs> but this was in the time when they actually hung down, you know, and said, having to go up. And I, I'm going, Jeff, Shelly, do you take, you know, and I now pronounce you and you may kiss the bride. And it felt like dress-up day at school. It felt like spanking our gang. Let's put on a play, you know. It felt, this can't be real, but it was. Jeff and Shelly, they got married, and, and it worked. 
and they started having kids, and we kept having kids, and we raised our families together because Jeff and I were best friends and brothers-in-law. What a cool situation. Now we're, we're burying Jeff's son, Matt, you know? 17 months later, we were burying Jeff. He died of cancer of the esophagus. In less than a year and a half, my sister-in-law, Shelly, lost her son and her husband. Does this make sense to you? Do you have data we can put into a computer and it'll spit out some reasoning? Is there a, an equation you can work out on the board and go, oh, that's why Matt and Jeff had to die? No. Life doesn't work that way, and we all know it. Life is not an equation. We keep trying to turn it into one, but it's not. Life is not even a series of methods or principles or guidelines. It doesn't work that way. Life is wild. It's alive. It's not static. It's dynamic. I told my, my sister-in-law's story in this book because her response She never asked why. She asked what. She never said, why, God, did you do this to me? She said, what, God, can you make of this? I said, Shelly, that's art. Can I tell your story? And she said, yes. She's, she's an incredible person. And I, and I love her story, and I told it in here. Other stories, too, about my dad and my early life. And... Uh, I got to tell you something, I'm a book nerd. I'm a book nerd. I love books. I can't do the Kindle because it smells like plastic. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I get lost in used bookstores. I just go in and, oh, yeah. I don't know if there are any book nerds in the room this morning, but I am. I'm a total book nerd. And so to get to write a book, you know what this is? This is a book nerd's dream. I'm living the book nerd dream. <laughs> Like, I'm such a nerd. But I love it. And it's from a major publisher. It's from Zondervan. And it came out first in hardback. It's like, can this get any cooler? This is so much fun. I'm telling you this because this is one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. I got to write a book. And I, I loved it. I got to tell all these ideas about God, the art instead of the math. You know, he's, he's not trying to solve your life. He's trying to make art out of your life, you know. And so I was so excited. I worked on it for two and a half years, told the story about my dad and Jeff and Shelley and Matt. I was so excited that when it got close to the time when it was going to come out, I, I gave them my cell number and I said, when the books arrive, would you call me on my cell? Because wherever I am, I want to come down and I want to open the first box and I want to hold the first book in my hands. I'm a nerd, you know? I just... So they called me. The day came. I had left my lunch on the table at home, and I'd rushed down to the Sutter General Hospital emergency room to the bedside of my brother, who at the age of 49 had a massive stroke and died. And I'm standing next to his bed. Everybody else left the room, just me and my only brother. I'm standing next to his bed, and my phone rang. Your books are here. 
Are you kidding? Are you kidding? You're kidding me. Oh, one of the coolest things and one of the uncoolest things to ever happen to me happened in the same moment. It's like life is absurd. It doesn't make any sense at all. Why? Why is that? It's because God is an artist. All the way through the Bible, we're shown pictures of God as artists. What's, what's our first introduction to God? In the beginning, God calculated. No. In the beginning, God conquered. No. God dictated. He decreed. No. God made something out of nothing. He had an idea, and He made it a reality. God created that's the first image that we have. And all through the Bible, we're shown all these creative images of God. My favorite one is in Isaiah, potter and clay, you know? And this is different than a lot of other arts because this is very tactile. I mean, you've got to get down and dirty to be a potter. You're not separated from your art by a brush or a pen. You've got your hands right in there. Here God is forming and shaping our lives. And look, He's not making toilets here. He's trying to make something beautiful and good out of your life. And if we knew what he was doing all the time, we might push his hands away. Don't touch me there. I like that about myself. I want to keep that. I want to keep that. Or we try to negotiate. You can use that about me. It's like we want to sing, I surrender some. I surrender most. I surrender all but that. Well, there's another danger. If we knew what God was doing, we, we might try to help Him. Oh, I see where you're going with this. That's a good idea. You know, I'm pretty good at this myself, so I'm going to give you a break, and I'm going to continue your work for you. And you know what God says to us? I don't want your fingerprints in the clay. I want my fingerprints in the clay. Look, contrary to a lot of Christian thinking, today Christianity is not a self-help program with Jesus thrown in. Christianity is precisely an anti-self-help program. This is not about you making yourself a better person. God is not waiting for you to make yourself a better person. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not try a little harder next week. You know what the good news is? God does for you something you know you cannot do for yourself. That's the beauty of it. It's an anti-self-help program. God's not waiting for you to get better. He doesn't make things better. He makes things new. And there are none of your fingerprints in the clay. It's all Him. What does God want from us? He wants surrender. He wants you to give up, to let Him have full and complete access to the materials of His art. Let Him do what He wants to do in your life. That's what God wants. Louis Armstrong, famous jazz trumpeter, put a handkerchief over his fingers 
And people thought, oh, he just needs that so he can wipe his sweaty head. No. He was hiding his moves. He didn't want other trumpeters to see what he was doing with his fingers. So that was his disguise. God does that in our lives. And we're asking, God, what are you doing? And he's saying, none of your business. Why is this happening to me? I'm not telling. What's going on? Oh, it's that silence that's killer right there. That's the hardest one. But you know what? God is at work in your life because he loves you and because he's trying to make something beautiful and good out of your life all the time. So why am I telling you my story? It's not that compelling. There are worse things have happened to people, a lot. Well, I'm telling, telling it to you for a couple of reasons. One is, just to remind you that this stuff happens to everybody. Nobody skates. Nobody gets a pass. Everybody has points of pain. Everybody has loss, hurt. We all do, me and you. We're in this together. And the other reason I'm telling it to you is this. We all need a reminder sometime. Clouds are low and the day is dark and very air feels oppressive and everything seems so bad. We need a reminder that God is good. God is good. I wrote this song while we were losing Matt. I didn't sing it publicly for three years, four years. I just put myself to sleep every night, hotels, home, wherever I was. I sang this song to myself because I needed a reminder. I needed a reminder in my time. And maybe this day is one of those dark days for you. If so, this song's for you. God is good. God is good. All the plans He has for us are good. God is good. Always good. We can trust His love for us, for God is good. God is good. God is good, yeah. All the plans He has for us are good. God is good. Always good. We can trust His love for us. For God is good. He made the mountains, you say, God is good. He made the valleys, you say, God is good. All through the ages, God is good. He never changes, God is good. So remember, God is good. God is good, yeah. All the plans He has for us are good. God is good, always good. We can trust 
His love for us, for God is good. He makes the sun shine, God is good. And He makes the thunder, God is good. In all the bright times, God is good. And even through the very, very dark times, God. So always remember and never forget that God is good. God is good, yeah. All the plans He has for us are good, yeah. God is good, always good, always good. We can trust His love for us, for God is good. We can trust, we can trust His love for us, for God is good. We can trust, we can trust His love for us, for God is good. God is good. He's not bad. God is for you. He's not against you. God's your friend. He is not your enemy. Maybe you could just tack that up on your fridge or put it on your desktop or tattoo it on your forearm, something, <laughs> just to remind yourself. Because there are a lot of voices telling you otherwise. These days, our culture is increasingly antagonistic to the message of the love of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of voices telling you, God is bad, Jesus is bad, Christianity is bad, Christians are bad, you are bad. Those are lies. You need at least one voice, even if it's your own, reminding you that God is good. God is good. One more song? I'm trying, to get you, I'm trying to get you to the restaurants before the Baptists. They're, they're so selfish, those Baptists. They just hog the best spots. <laughs> I was raised a Baptist. Don't come looking for me. I try to be an equal, equal opportunity offender. I just try to offend everybody. So, you know, if I didn't offend you, come see me afterwards. We'll take care of that, okay? <laughs> so... One more song, and uh, it's a song about death just to kind of lighten up the mood. It really is. It's a song I wrote after my dad died. There we go. Uh, it's a song, song I wrote after my dad died. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but my dad died suddenly, and, the, you know, it's in the book. It's on the live CD. My dad was an orphan. And when you're an orphan, that just, that just affects you for all of your life, you know? And it affected my dad. He was a good man. He was a good husband, good father, good dad, good uh, chaplain. He was actually a preacher. But something happened to him when I was 17 years old. He had a powerful, mystical encounter with Jesus Christ. It so changed his life that it spilled out into the rest of our family and uh, changed a lot of us. I actually count my radical commitment to, to, to Jesus back to that because I looked at my dad and said, whatever you got, I got to have that. That's the power and the love of God. 
And so when my dad died unexpectedly, I'd been slipstreaming behind him for so long that I just, I felt unmoored. I felt alone. You know how it is? Just, you know what I missed? I just wanted to pick up the phone one time and hear his voice. Hey, son. So I started thinking a lot about heaven. And I uh, started, you know, wanting, wanting to go there. I'm, well, I, you know, I wasn't going to do anything to send myself there. I just, was, I just was ready, you know. I started doing rapture practice, you know, just get ready to fly, <laughs> try to kickstart the thing. I was all alone in this little cabin up in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, Canada. I was speaking, and then I'd go back to my room, and I would uh, just cry, miss my dad, month after he passed away, just... And I wrote this song in that little cabin. And a uh, song about heaven, dedicated to my father. And I gave it a Scottish feel because we are the Kilpatrick family of the Calhoun clan of the Scots. Okay. I've been in Scotland recently several times, I got to tell you something. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean 24-7 over there. I mean, these people... I. I go into a little chippy, that's what they call a fish and chip shop. I go into chippy at midnight in Edinburgh, or a little town between Edinburgh and Glasgow. And uh, first thing I go in, and the guy goes, I recommend you have this one here. He didn't even say hello. Just, I recommend you have this one here. And I said, is that one good? And he went, aye. <laughs> I'm looking for a peg leg and a parrot. It's like Jack Sparrow, right? But these are my people. These are my people. So I gave it a Scottish feel, and I gave you a part in the song, all right? And uh, your part goes like this. Hey, ho, hey, ho. And just in case you have trouble remembering your part, we put it on the screen so you have all the lyrics. Because you could be going, hey, what's the second part? Oh, ho. <laughs> Sing it with me. We go, hey, ho, hey. Let me get the chords right. Let's do that again. Hey-ho, hey-ho. Okay, now, this morning, you're an honorary member of the Kilpatrick family, of the Calhoun clan, of the Scots, which means you've got to sing it like a Scot. Scots don't sing softly. They don't go, hey-ho, and then hey, you know, ho. sing with gusto. You got to sing with gusto this morning. And generally a Scot is never ever just singing. But as he's singing, he's hoisting his uh, cup of tea. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. I don't So I want you to get your cup of tea out with me. Come on, everybody. Go on. This is a good place to be silly. It's safe. All right. Nobody's too spiritual or too cool. Nobody's too young or too old. And as you wave your teacup back and forth, you'll sing, Hey, ho, hey. That's cool. I, I go some places, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but people are shy to get involved. And I go, sing with me. And they go, why should I do that? <laughs> I don't know. No reason. No reason. I love it. You're loud. Okay. So I will cue you for your part by pointing. There is no other cue. 
It's just the point, okay? Because I've gone, arch my eyebrows, and people, oh, you know, twitch my elbow, do something with the neck of my guitar, and they go, that's the sign, and then, and then they're embarrassed because they jumped in the wrong spot, right? So I don't want you to, it's nothing here or here or here. It's just this. But when I do that, don't be shy. Get your teacup or whatever it is your doctrine allows and sing as loud as you dare, okay? Because it's your way of just saying amen. Saying amen to what I'm singing in this song. This is for my dad. My father is there. And I am there in my heart And sometimes I long to slip away To join the ones who've departed The mighty cloud of witnesses Bears silent testimony When I shall join the ranks of them I'll worship Jesus only. One of these days we'll all be home. Say hey, oh, hey, oh. Over the hills, no more to roam. Say hey, oh, hey. Our joy and gladness one of these days we'll all be home the powers of earth and all that glitters and glimmers will darken our hearts will weaken our hope but we must always remember that we will shed this thin mortality and we will slip beyond the veil. The darkened mirror laid aside and face to face we'll hail him. One of these days we'll all be home gladness one of these days we'll all be home say hey oh hey sing it again say hey oh one more time and hold it out loud hey oh hey hey ho Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was singing this once at a friend's church, and, and uh, actually my brother-in-law, Jeff, was with me this night. And uh, after, this friend's from South Africa, and I ended with this song, and he came up, and he goes, um, you know, we did the hey-ho thing, and 
And he goes, well, it's great to have Bob here tonight. And now I've got my father-in-law. And Pop, I'm going to ask you to come up and close the meeting in prayer. And Pop, you know, happy as a clam, deaf as a post. I mean, he's like, uh, he didn't hear it, you know. He's back there, kind of ancient. And somebody poked him. Pop, they want you to go, oh, okay. So he, you know, he makes his way down to the front. And as he's coming along, I don't know, I'm, you know, he's, he's just making his way up there like, like this. And he passes me. I'm sitting right like where you are. And he just goes, he looks real happy. He's just smiling, you know. But he goes, hey, yo, hey, yo. And I didn't know if he was mocking me or not, you know. I didn't, if he, I didn't know if he was going, how stupid, how stupid. And I, so I did that thing we do, you know, uh, like when you go to the principal's office. I, I just went, <laughs> and then he kept going. He just, and he got over here and he looked up at his son, son-in-law and he goes, hey, ho, hey, ho. And he climbs up onto the stage. Son-in-law gives him the microphone and he steps out there and he looks at the audience. He goes, hey, ho, hey, ho. And again, we didn't know if we were in trouble or not. So the whole congregation goes, <laughs> and then he prayed. He prayed to close the service, and here is his prayer verbatim. He said, oh, Jesus, look on us. Look on us. Look on us. Clean and forgiven. We say to you, hey, ho, hey, ho. And he said, everybody, hey, ho, what's more? And I started crying because he turned this meaningless phrase into an expression of praise, you know? Hey, ho, because some days are bad days. They're just so hard, and you meet somebody, and, and you just, you know, you're wanting to tell them all the, what a friend of mine calls the organ recital. Well, my liver, and then my kidney. You know. <laughs> some days are just really hard. Some days are bad days. Well, here's the good news. The sun's going to go down on this day. Sun's going down. Clock is going to strike midnight. Sun's coming up tomorrow. In other words, this is not the day that you are going to live in forever. This is not the day. There's going to come another day when the sun's going to go down, and it's going to come up, and it's never going to go down again. And the corruptible will put on the incorruptible. And the mortal will put on the immortal. And we will be changed into his likeness. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. And my favorite promise, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Hey-ho. So you know what you're saying when you say hey-ho? You're saying, I believe in another day. I believe in a day, not this day. And I'm living for that day. What's that old country hymn? Oh, the joy of an unclouded day. I think they got it right. They understood, you know, something we sometimes miss. This is not all. This is not even it. We're living for something else. Hey-ho. So the next time you meet somebody and they ask you, how you doing? Don't complain. 
Don't complain. If it's a bad day, they say, how are you doing today? And it's, you just say, hey-ho. Hey-ho. How you doing? Hey-ho. I'm just hey-ho. And what you're saying is, I'm just, I'm believing for that other day. I'm living for that other day. Hey-ho. All right? Amen. Thanks for letting me share with you this morning. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've just, I've been looking forward to this, and you didn't disappoint. This is really fun. Uh, I was up very late last night. I was flying home from Nashville and um, got in at 2 o'clock. Was supposed to come down here and spend the night, but I thought, why waste a good hotel room on four hours of sleep? So I got to bed at 2, a little after 2, got up at 6, and, uh, and drove down to be with you. And uh, I'm thankful I'll get to sleep for the rest of the week, you know. But what a pleasure. I, I, I do want to tell you um, that there are books and CDs right over there and that you should go over and buy them. <laughs> All of them. You'll like them. If you don't, send them back to me. I won't send your money back or anything. I just want them back again. <laughs> we'll get them into a good loving home, you know. It's an adoption program. Uh, no, we, we'll, we'll refund your money. I, that was a joke. Okay. Uh, the book. You already know about this. I already told you about that. There's a lot of music over there. It ranges from... You know, I, I realized a couple of years ago, I was arranging things. I didn't even know this. It was subconscious, but I was arranging the albums from quiet to loud. I, I thought, wow, this is great. It's, it's so that, I just stuck with it because on the, on the left side are two... I guess you would call them ambient prayer music. Some people say, oh, soaking music? I go, yeah, but I didn't listen to any soaking music before I made this. I don't listen to it now. But I made these for myself. This is one hour of nonstop music with the sound of rain. This is one hour of nonstop music, different key, different, different music, with the sound of ocean recorded off the, the coast of uh, Ireland. Um, it's just one hour. It just doesn't stop. It's musical nothingness. It's not meant to impress you with musical licks or vocal licks. It's meant to be a backdrop to your prayer time, to remind you just very simply. See, when I'm at work in my office, I don't want vocals and lots of activity. So I made this for myself, and my wife said, you should share that with people. She's got a lot of good ideas. So I did. So uh, it's just meant, like I said, to be a backdrop to your prayer time. And so you might be interested in those. That's, that's on the quiet end. And then there's the, the worship songs and the live one that's got the Sinatra, Elvis, and Beatles version of Lord Be Glorified and the story about my dad as well. And then the other two, which are kind of people's favorites from across the years. Uh, this one you need to stay away from because it's rock and roll. It's loud and fast. It sounds like the Beatles and you 2 had a child. <laughs> and, he, and he made this album with Peter Gabriel and Ravi Shankar. But it's my favorite album I've ever done. And, uh, you know, but if you like rock and roll, that's the one. If you don't, stay away. All right? Let me bless you with a benediction. Would you lift your hands with your palms open and empty? Lift your face and smile heavenward and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you 
and keep you. Make his face shine down upon you and give you peace and give you peace. Go in peace and may the God of peace be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless Amen. you. Amen. Pastor Terry. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me and just give Bob another hand of appreciation? Thank you for coming. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. Well, what a good morning. And uh, just uh, kind of to be refreshed in the Spirit of God and the life of Christ and with a new friend. Let's, uh, as you go, I encourage you to check out the resources. If you feel led to give Bob a gift, uh, by all means do that. And um, we will be giving him something as well. But sometimes some of you are, have a, just this gift of generosity and we always encourage you to use that. Would you join me as we pray and give thanks for this day? Father, this is the, the day that you have made and we rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful reminder that our lives are called to simply glorify you. We thank you again uh, that it's not what we understand, but it's who you are that we pursue. Lord, let those two truths resonate as we leave today. Because, Lord, every one of us in this room are in different places. We're probably either going into something, we're in something, or we're coming out of something. And, Lord, what a, what a, what a gracious truth to know that you're working things for us. We may not see it, know it, understand it, but God, you were there to give us a guided tour through it. So I pray, Lord, that as we go today, you would be the glory and the lifter of our head. And as we go, be glorified in all that we say, all that we do, how we live and move and have our being. Pray your blessing now upon Bob and his family and Lord, his ministry. For that we give thanks in the name of Christ Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You sure loved. Have a safe holiday. Lord bless you.